For our COBT viewers and listeners, it's Maynard, Mike, and Todd here with something that we think is particularly on point uh, in today's world. We're delighted to welcome Susan Shelley. She's a columnist and a member of the editorial board at the Southern California News Group. And she got our attention because recently she's been writing and talking a little bit on YouTube about the issues California is having with its power, how it got here, what the public debate is, what might be the right way forward. We thought it was kind of particularly instructive. And, and Susan, you just wrote it in a really uh, easy to understand way. And we thought this could be something that would be useful to all of us who are out here trying to understand power and, and what are some good choices uh, for all of us to start making. So Susan, welcome to the show. We're delighted to have you. Thank you. I am delighted to be here. Well, wonderful. Mike and Todd, let's turn to you guys before we turn to Susan. Um, what's happening in these markets, Mike? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're a shortened week uh, this week uh, for the markets, uh, but uh, the market's pretty much going sideways. And, and the reason why is, remember, we talked last week about the economic stacks. The CPI and PPI were really hot last week. That kind of put a damper on the market. Uh, bonds are going sideways today. But I think what markets are looking at this week is, uh, is NVIDIA's earnings. That's a big, big deal uh, for the market. The market obviously is anticipating good numbers there. And so the market's going to basically move you know, on those numbers. So just just a heads up there. You know, from a commodity standpoint, you have crude oil at around $79 WTI, and it's gravitated toward the, towards the higher end of the $70 to $80 range we've had over the last three or four months. And, and you know, the crazy thing about it is that's really kind of come on, uh, on some, uh, you know, some commodity stats, DOE stats that would normally sort of press it down. And, and the reason why is I think people are looking at that and saying, refinery runs are historically low. You know, we're building crude substantially here, but, you know, three to four weeks out, we're going to start drawing crude substantially. So I think the markets are probably getting a little ahead of themselves here, but we're at the upper end of the, you know, upper end of the range. So that's kind of good to see. From a natural gas standpoint, it, it seems like we're a broken record here, but natural gas is around $1.55 an M. The strip is around $240 an M. And if you look at the strip right now, most companies unhedged, be it Marcellus or Haynesville, are not making profits here. And so what we've seen over the last week or so is, some of these EMPs starting to talk about lower capex for 2024, and the stocks are doing really well. We're going to see a couple more EMPs this week, uh, and I think you know from the standpoint of what we're going to see in energy this week is a lot of EMPs, diversified EMPs are going to be talking about their earnings. We're going to see a lot of oil service companies. So 2024 capex is going to be a big issue this week. So that's what we're like looking to focus on. The last thing we'd leave you is, I mean, really interesting development. We usually wouldn't talk about it, but there's a company called Intuitive Machines, ticker symbol L-U-N-R, Lunar. Uh, they're potentially on Thursday going to be the first company to land a spacecraft on the moon. And so we have not seen that, you know, this since 1972, so almost 51, 52 plus years. And so really exciting times for that company, but it's also exciting times for space exploration. So we're looking at that. We're hopeful for them. And so we'll leave that no, Mike, you've got to share with the audience. I think, uh, you know, you you got a friend who's got a friend. You're going yeah. to go out to NASA on Thursday and, yeah. and kind of watch this. Yeah, we're going to be watching the, uh, the landing party live. And so uh, we hope that goes well, but that's going to be really, really exciting. That is fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, Todd, uh, that's tough to beat, but I, if anybody can no, do it, I, you I can. can't compete with NASA and, and lunar <laughs> landings. Um, two quick things for me, since we're talking about California. Uh, a news item this week came out, you know, we've heard about EV sales slowing down kind of broadly and California has not been immune. Um, last week, there was an article that talked about the first half of the year, California's EV sales were about 190,000 vehicles, which was 
a quarter of all EVs sold in the United States. The second half of 2023 was actually the first time EV sales were down sequentially in the state of California in you know, 10 or 15 years, however long they've been going on. So despite the fact that you know California has been a very rapid adopter, even they are not immune to a slowdown. The second thing we're going to be talking about a lot today is clearly California energy prices and policies and things like that. Um, one of the things we've looked at in the past when making investments are sort of what are the marginal costs of energy in various markets? And um, we pulled last summer, uh, July of 2023, which is typically you know peak load in California for commercial customers. You know prices got over 20 cents a kilowatt hour, which was you know they along with Alaska and Hawaii kind of energy islands are the only three states with prices that high. The Northeast was kind of the second highest, and then kind of the Midwest, Southeast, South, mid, all of those regions were considerably lower. So. Clearly, California is already bearing the brunt of some pretty high energy prices. That's power. If you go look at other commodities, you know, uh, diesel and unleaded gasoline have averaged, you know, something like 70 or 80 cents over the national average. Natural gas for industrial consumers over the last 10 years is really almost 200 percent the national average or, or about three dollars and 88 cents over what everybody else in the country is paying. So clearly, California is bearing you know, very high energy prices. And we'll talk more about that uh, here in a minute. Well, it was a great lead in. And Susan, thank you again for joining us. Your your column and some of your work got our attention. And I failed to mention you've been doing this for almost 10 years now, at least, mm -hmm. uh, working there with the, the Southern California News Group. Tell us a little bit about about your experience and why you started nosing into power and and, and what the conversation is like uh, there in California. And I kind of mean not amongst the energy, uh, you know, kind of um, policy people. I mean, amongst, uh, you know, normal people, so to speak, working people. You know, what's well, the water cooler talk on power? I'm in California, so I'm no expert on normal people. Let me stipulate. <laughs> but what happens here is People are told that the world is coming to an end because of global warming and that the children will not have an earth. They're told this all the time by politicians. And you see it across the country and around the world, but in California, it's particularly intense. And once you're told that, no matter what they charge you for energy, you're willing to pay it because you're saving the world. So that's kind of the political basis of this. People are told that they should pay for green energy, and they're told that they should pay for renewable energy, and that California is leading and saving the world. And this is all, if not outright false, wildly exaggerated. California is 1% of the greenhouse gas emissions of the whole planet. We could shut down the whole state. We could shut down all the electricity utilities. We could shut down all the refineries. We could shoot all the cows. It would not matter to the climate at all. So what people are paying becomes, in my opinion, very relevant for, for the cost effectiveness. We are paying in California to model good climate behavior. So even if you accept the premise, and not everybody does, that climate change is happening, it's catastrophic, and it's all our fault. What California is doing doesn't have any effect on the climate. Start with that. Now let's look at the reality of what they say they're doing. They've been passing laws since roughly 2002, demanding that utilities provide 
retail electricity with a percentage of it generated by what they define as renewable sources. They don't define nuclear as renewable. They don't define hydroelectric as renewable. No greenhouse gases and they're totally renewable. They don't define them that way. Solar, wind, some of the more exotic and minimal sources like geothermal. I think there's one trash burning plant in Modesto that got in somehow. I don't know. And this is what they count as renewable. So all the utilities in California have to sign long-term contracts with these providers for power. Very expensive. And even if the price drops later, we're locked into these long-term contracts 10 years. I think by one of the one of the state laws actually requires it. They require 10-year contracts for this power. So people are opening their electricity bills and they're falling on the floor from shock at how high they are. But they're not connecting that the policies they think they support are the cause of the prices that are driving them out of the state. They don't so let me grab, it. Let me grab you right there because I think that's, a, that's sort of a fascinating thing that um, I think we're all wondering is, because all this stuff is complicated. I mean, climate's complicated, energy, energy sources, energy... Um, activities it's a lot of complexity but when you open the bill you you see it right you right it's coming out of your pocket what what is the what is the growing discussion or what is the type of discussion that's happening in California because the other thing you can do is you can ask your friend in Nevada or Arizona or Texas or I don't know if Texas is a great example but at least it's cheap here but you you do start to realize, hey, I seem to be the only one. I seem to be paying the highest prices. Is that conversation starting to happen in California? Are people making those comparisons? Yes, they are. And a lot of people are leaving. You know, we have a net outflow of residents from this state for the first time in its history. It lost a congressional seat. And several surveys have said we're on track if this trend continues to lose five congressional seats. That has never happened. Since the gold rush that has never happened in the history of California and the high cost of living is one of the reasons. And as you know, energy drives the cost of living in every way. And, and it also drives jobs out of the state. So high paying manufacturing and even fossil fuel jobs driving them out of the state on this pretense that we're going to do without fossil fuels. So what are we really doing? We're importing electricity from other states. We don't ask how it's made. We don't, we don't ask. They don't tell. Everybody's happy. We import electricity and we import oil on tankers from other countries to California. We have oil. We have natural gas. We don't need to bring it in in pipelines and tankers. We have it. But because of the politics of it, because people are told that that's going to fry their children because the earth is going to go on fire. If we drill for oil in Bakersfield, all the laws are pushing away from that. And, and all of the high prices are causing the politicians to try to demonize the energy producers, which I know you've seen, suing them and excess profits laws and all kinds of harassment, even though investigation after investigation through the years has shown nothing illegal going on, no price fixing, no, nothing, nothing illegal, nothing even Nefarious, what's going on is California, with its regulations, with its restrictions, is shutting down the energy industry, except for wind and solar. So here's the dirty little secret. It's never going to be enough because the sun goes down. Who knew? 
every day at four o'clock, five o'clock, boom, all of the energy from the solar, the solar production sinks every day. Wow. Who would have expected that? No one in Sacramento saw that coming. What do we do? We run natural gas. We run nuclear. We run batteries, but they only last for about four hours, and it's very minimal, and it's very expensive, and that's in your bill also. So this is the problem. Even though you can find a moment, maybe this time of year when electricity demand is low, and you get a really nice sunny day with no clouds, and you have good, strong solar production and a little bit of wind, you almost get to 65 or 70% at high noon from renewables, and it's downhill from there. And the rest of it is just politics. Can I ask you on, on politics? And boy, that's kind of our one thing we tend to stay away from on the show because it never ends well. But, <laughs> um, but the politics, um, are you seeing, you know, because power prices and power sources and uh, the economy, that's really not, doesn't belong to either party. Um, are there really positive voices in California from whatever source that are saying, hey, wait a minute, uh, we're, we're hurting our working people, we're hurting our companies, we, we're, we need to rethink some of this. What, where do you see uh, people raising their hands saying, Let, let's, let's debate some of these, these things, maybe we can do something better. Are you seeing some positive, are there any movie stars? saying it or a tech. No, the movie star is the one who got us into this trouble. He's the one who signed, uh, it was assembly bill 32 okay. that caused all the trouble. So no, movie star. That's the movie way. star. Yes. We had a very good Super Bowl <laughs> commercial though, I have to say. Well, he's, he's a fine individual, but we all make mistakes. <laughs> no, seriously. Are there any positive voices you're noticing that are, are there starting to influence this debate in a, in a good way? Well, interestingly, there was a law that was passed in the, in the climax of the budget in 2022, they did a, what's called a trailer bill, which is a big omnibus bill that goes in after the budget. It's an up or down vote. It's pages and pages. I think this one was 21,000 words long. One of the little provisions in it was the state was going to require the investor-owned utilities to charge for electricity based on income, based on household income. They were, they were required to separate out the so-called infrastructure which includes even things like pensions, infrastructure fixed charges were going to be separated out and the fixed charge on your bill, instead of being $10 to be connected to the grid with a cap on that charge, no cap. And the utilities were required to formulate their rates to charge for electricity connection based on household income. Well, when that became well known was the following April, April of last year, when the utilities put out the plan of how they were going to do it with their proposed rates, gave it to the Public Utilities Commission, and everybody's waiting for the Public Utilities Commission to figure out how to do this because the utilities don't want to verify income and no one knows how that's going to work. This caused backlash for the first time that I have seen. This caused widespread public backlash. So the Republicans, who are a very minimal influence, they're 25% of the legislature and the Senate, basically, um, they immediately spoke up about this and tried to get this provision reversed. But they have no influence. They don't have enough votes to block a sidewalk in Sacramento. The Democrats are now coming out, many of the Democrats, especially the ones in the coastal regions where people are higher income, 
and paid a lot of money for solar installations and were very happy with their low electricity bill. And now they're going to have this charge every month of more than $100 for electricity connection based on their income. The outrage is tangible. So now for the first time, you are seeing both parties, politicians from both parties, pushing back. What's the purpose of the income-based electricity charge? Well, it's because bills are going up so high for all of these climate agenda items, and people can't pay it, and it's going to go higher, and the politicians were trying to insulate the lower and middle-income people from some of those costs. That was the purpose of it. And they also said that they thought it would incentivize low-income people to buy electric cars because the volumetric charges would be a little bit lower. But that's just nonsense. You know, I don't think they really thought that. That's what's going on. It's kind of ironic when you go through all that because you, we had a system which was disproportionately affecting poorer people uh, because a larger percentage of their income was going to have to go to energy. And then they decided, well, we'll, we'll tweak the system and we'll make wealthy people pay more. And there was an uproar. <laughs> like you would have thought that the former would be the source of outrage as opposed to the latter. But uh, maybe that's just a cheeky observation. Well, there's a fair amount of hypocrisy because you can bet those are the same people. The coastal, the coastal residents are the same people buying the solar panels and, and worrying about the climate and willing to pay the higher bills. But I think there's something about this verify the household income and charge for electricity based on income that is upsetting everybody. There's a privacy aspect. There's, it's just an offensive communist sounding concept. And people, that, that was it. That has really created a backlash. But not so much of a backlash that Governor Gavin Newsom is on board with it. He's still resisting changing it back. He wants to preserve this income tier electricity billing. Um, so we'll see. I think July 1st is the date that the CPUC is supposed to announce how it's going to do this. And there's uh, legislation that's been introduced to completely reverse it, just remove that provision from the law. So we'll see. The, the effect of what's going on with California's budget and its taxes and just the overall fiscal situation in California, how does that affect this discussion? Does it make the state, are you starting to see the state saying, we can't afford certain things anymore, we should stop doing them, or we should stop doing certain things that are hurting business because we need that business tax revenue? Like, how is the, how is the fiscal situation in California starting to show up in some of these energy discussions? I have not seen it show up in the energy discussions. It's showing up right now in what you might call Hollywood mass, Hollywood accounting. I don't know if you remember the Rockford Files show, but it had been on the air like I do. Know, eight Very years. good show. James okay. Garner. Right. Excellent. It was on for like eight years and there was not showing a profit. And <laughs> James Garner sued the studio over it and to show that the, that the accounting was ridiculous. So that's what they're doing with the California budget. They're moving money around. There's an $8 billion amount that was excess funding according to the education formula for funding in California because they didn't know what the tax revenue was going to be because they gave everybody an extension because it rained a lot. So everybody was filing taxes in October and November instead of April. Because of that, they did not know what the revenue would be. And the formula that funds education was $8 billion too high based on what happened later. 
So the governor decided, this is just recently, that he's going to let the, the schools keep that $8 billion, but he's not going to make any reference to it in the budget. And the Legislative Analyst's Office wrote a report about it, and they said, this is a novel proposal, and they have major concerns about it. And this is how they're doing it, with accounting tricks. So no, they haven't done it. They, have, they could cut some of the climate promises. There's billions of dollars that the governor has promised subsidies and different different kinds of things that are in the budget that are I think he approved 50 billion dollars of climate spending over five or ten years a couple of budgets ago and some of that money hasn't gone out the door yet so they could pull that back but I, that's all to come we'll see that probably in June in the negotiations yes Susan uh, one of the things as we listen to uh, Q4 conference calls especially with uh, solar company renewable companies uh, you know most of these guys talk about rates, retail, retail electricity rates, not only in California, but a lot of states. I mean, I'm talking like most of the U.S. are going to be going up significantly because of you know, just electricity demand is just growing exponentially. And I guess my question is, is that California kind of hit a wall in retail uh, solar growth uh, because of some legislative issues there. What are you seeing now from a you know, retail customer standpoint? Do you, I mean, are you seeing a, a temporary slowdown there? And then we're going to start to pick up as, as these utility rates keep going up. I mean, how do you view the market there just for retail investors from a solar standpoint? Well, if they keep these fixed charges for electricity based on household income, then there's much less incentive to buy a solar system because you're going to pay a high electricity bill anyway. So the, the math for how long before you're even and then ahead changes. And they've also changed the net metering, and you're more aware of that than than I am probably, but they've changed some of the financial incentives. I get emails from readers frequently that say how angry they are over all the changes to how the power bill is structured after they paid for a solar, a solar system. So I think they have kind of disincentivized solar in California. That could change again, but at the moment, I think they've kind of ticked everybody off and disincentivized spending on new solar systems. Hey, Susan, I'm curious about, um, you know, California's regulatory environment is a little bit unique and you've got the California Air Resources Board, which I, I'm not really sure what the equivalent of that entity would be in some other state or even at the federal level. Could you talk about the history, you know, of that organization? You know, I, I think it was developed, you know, probably around smog and things like that. But how it seems like a lot of these sort of either mandates or decisions or rules come from that group and how they, they work relative to, you know, the legislature and the governor's office and things like that. Yeah, there's probably nothing comparable to it in government unless you go back to the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> they, would, they would be right at home with the California Air Resources Board. What happened there is the... In that climate law that Governor Schwarzenegger signed, Assembly Bill 32 in 2006, I think it was, um, there was this mandate to reduce greenhouse gas reduction, to, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in California to a percentage below 1990 levels. Well, how that was exactly going to be done was completely unclear. It was kind of a pose, frankly, to say, oh, yes, we're going to reduce greenhouse gases in California. How? Nobody knew. So they turned it over to the California Air Resources Board. And CARB 
invented this cap and trade system, or they borrowed it from somewhere else. I don't know if it was in use somewhere else. The cap and trade system says that if you're running your engine, you have to pay for a permit to emit greenhouse gases. And this doesn't apply to everybody, but it applies to utilities and manufacturers. And they they added it to transportation fuels, I think, in 2013. And that jacked up the price of gasoline and diesel fuel and jet fuel because all the transportation fuels now had to pay this. The refineries had to pay this cap and trade fee, which is the way this works is they have an auction for the permits. CARB gives out a certain number and then they auction a certain number and the revenue goes into the greenhouse gas reduction fund. And the greenhouse gas reduction fund is in the treasury and the legislature votes on how to spend it. So it's exactly like a tax. Exactly like a tax. Chamber of Commerce goes to court. They say this is an illegal tax. This did not pass with a two-thirds vote. In California, that's required. And the court, the appellate court said, I'm not kidding you. They said it's not a tax because it's voluntary. If you don't want to pay it, you can go out of business. And this has empowered CARB to, in many with all of these laws, these climate laws that are enforced by CARB, to reduce greenhouse gases. They have invented regulations for everything in the universe in order to prevent engines from running, in order to prevent greenhouse gas emissions. So they are creating regulations for Uber and Lyft and all the uh, DoorDash kinds of companies on what kind of cars they can have in their fleet. They have to be all electric by a certain date. They're pushing for this, uh, this new truck rule. I think they've passed it, the new truck rule where all the trucks have to be all electric by a given date. There's no infrastructure for that. There's no charging infrastructure. Well, what are they going to do about charging infrastructure? Well, the California Public Utilities Commission said the ratepayers will cover the utility side installations. Will they? How nice for them. What is the point of this? The trucks don't even exist yet that can replace the diesel-powered trucks. But the attitude is, we're such a big, powerful market, Carb says frequently, that if we mandate it, manufacturers will make it and they'll have to make it. And we will lead the country by mandating something that doesn't exist yet. And that's what they're doing. That's why they're into everything, because in reducing their mandate to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, they have their fingers on everybody's pulse. So do you think, Susan, as you listen to all this, um, it's fascinating. And it, at some level, I mean, I try to kind of put a super positive spin on this. The whole country loves California, right? It's beautiful. It's creative. It's the capital of so many great things. And kind of like when you have a family member who's just um, <laughs> going through some issues, you're kind of <laughs> watch, you're kind of watching going like, come on, can, come on, come back, come back. Like, let's, let's find a way to uh, solve some of these things. Are you, are you noticing in the because you raised it in the environmental community, there are certainly people who say, "Hey, climate is a is a concerning problem, but we need to be practical and thoughtful about how we're attacking it." Are you seeing anything in the environmental community where voices are saying, uh, "We actually agree, and we should be going in some different directions, and we're having some unintended consequences"? Well, Michael Schellenberger ran for governor. And he's the author of Apocalypse Never. That's the clearest voice I've heard from someone who was a, a green activist and 
fully drinking the Kool-Aid on all of it. And he looked at some of these things and said, this isn't, this isn't accurate. This climate apocalypse isn't happening. So he's the clearest voice, but he got, I think, 1% of the vote in the governor's race. So that was not a vote of confidence in that viewpoint, although there are probably many other reasons that someone does well or doesn't do well in a political race. But the the problem is that people have been absolutely convinced in California that these policies of ending fossil fuels are essential to the survival of the planet. They believe that. And they do not want to hear that we're using fossil fuels anyway. We're using natural gas to charge your electric car at night. They don't want to hear that. They don't believe it. You can go to CAISO.com, C-A-I-S-O, California Independent System Operator, and you can click Today's Outlook, and you can click Supply. At high noon, you can see how we're doing with renewable energy. And then you can check at 4 o'clock. And then you can check when the sun goes down, because the sun goes down. And you can see that the state of California is running on natural gas, and there is no path for it to be otherwise. There is no path for it to, unless we go toward nuclear, the way France has gone toward nuclear, and and seriously build up that capacity in order to replace natural gas, there is nothing we're going to do that's going to replace the megawatts we're generating with fossil fuels. It's, it's just not going to happen. We need a rational energy policy in California. There are trade-offs in everything, and we need a rational policy, and they have to look at cost-effectiveness on all the climate policies because the effectiveness is really zero, and the cost is going up every year. You, you mentioned uh, uh, a few questions ago uh, a reference to the state had committed, or I think Gavin Newsom had committed to you know, spending something like $50 billion. I mean, one, one of the things that happens with a lot of various government initiatives, it's hard to know exactly what's being spent or hard to know exactly what the cost is. Is it broken out in the California budget, you know, a line item that says we are spending this much on on climate related or or like how do you how, how much is the state I think spending, it was. I guess? I think it was. Well sometimes they talk about doing a bond and they call it a climate bond and it's it's a very loosely defined kind of thing where there are lots of practical things that need to be done with water resources, and they can put that in the climate bond and various um, parks and natural resources of other kinds. They can put that in the climate bond. It's pretty vague. Uh, what, are you, what, what are they saying affects the climate? Well, everything. So <laughs> there's, there's no proof required. They can, they can put it in the climate bond. But I believe in the same energy bill which was AB 205 in 2022, AB 205. That was the long trailer bill. That's the one that had the income-based electricity rates provision. It also had an extension for the Diablo nuclear plant uh, because Diablo Canyon nuclear plant, which is owned by PG&E, it had an extension for that and a $1.4 billion, quote, forgivable loan from taxpayers to help keep it open because the plan was to close it. And the plan was to close three or four gas-fired plants that produce much of the state's electricity last December. And they had to, they had to hit the brakes on that. Gavin Newsom stepped in and, and forced the legislature to extend the life of all of this because the lights were going to go off. And, you know, he, 
He has not acknowledged that there's a problem with the policy. They're still pretending like we're just on the edge of the transition and it's all going to be, but there is no path to this 100% renewable, which is required in California law by 2045. There is no path except higher bills and failure. And you don't hear a lot about it, but um, besides power prices and and um, and some of these other uh, taxes, are there blackouts or outages, or, or how frequent is that in the in the California world that you have just just an outage? That's well, pretty frequent. Uh, it's pretty frequent. There's there's a lot of talk about whether the utilities have had to cut back on maintenance because they're required to do so much spending on charging infrastructure and other types of um, green energy things that are very expensive. And there have, when we had all the wildfires, there was a lot of talk about whether they had cut back on cutting brush and trees and and doing the kinds of basic maintenance that they're required to do. And we have a a liability law in California that makes them responsible for 100% of the damage of any fire that's caused by their equipment, the investor-owned utilities. It's called... I forget what it's called, inverse condemnation. It's the doctrine of inverse condemnation. They're responsible for 100% of the damage. Now, because of unrelated things that have nothing to do with them in how they manage the land, the fires are much worse than they used to be. Not because of climate, but because of not doing controlled burns and not doing clear cutting and various types of things that they used to do to create fire breaks and manage the land. So when the fires break out, triggered by a utility's equipment, they're virtually unlimited in, in size and scope. Very, very severe. That's what happened. Now, it used to be that the California Public Utilities Commission would allow the utilities to put a small charge on a monthly bill for a customer and recoup any uninsured damage. But then a couple of years ago, San Diego Gas and Electric wanted to recoup a relatively small amount of money with a relatively small charge, and the CPUC said no. And that day, everything changed. San Diego Gas and Electric appealed. And on the day when they lost their final appeal, all of a sudden, these power safety shutoffs became a thing in California, where if Mm. it's windy and it's hot, they intentionally shut off the power to prevent wildfires. And this was the reason. It has to do with the liability Mm. and it has to do with the law. It doesn't have to do with the climate. Interesting. So you you referenced, um, you know, the unfortunate reality of this is if you're a business and you use a lot of power, you know, California is not going to be a particularly good state to locate in. So, you know, you might consider moving. Um, The jobs that you provide might go with the plant, whatever it is. Um, Working people, you know, this is getting expensive, so they move. But in other words, what I'm pointing to is in this system, the people who are feeling a lot of this pain they end up exiting the system. And then the percentage of people left who are, you know, the ones who might have been the, the people who might have pushed for change, I guess, are leaving. Is that, I, that, that seems like a really worrisome, maybe that's a gross oversimplification, but what, what do you think about that? Well, a lot of people don't want to leave. And there are obviously more people staying than leaving. And they deserve better representation and they deserve to have their story told and they're, they deserve to have someone look at their electricity bill and say, wow, I wonder if we're doing anything that's causing that and not causing it in other states. They deserve to have that. And I think just elevating 
this issue in places such as this is helpful to let people know what's going on. I have a, a Twitter feed and I occasionally post screenshots of queso.com's, they have these uh, pie charts, these circle charts of how much electricity we're getting from renewable, how much we're getting from natural gas. And I post those on Twitter and people are astounded. They had no idea that every night they're charging their electric car with natural gas and nuclear power. They had no idea. But that's, it's, it's an education project. Susan, what's interesting to me is like this week we heard about the Biden administration thinking about rolling back or pushing back EV sort of emission requirements uh, from 2030 and beyond. And you also kind of said a little earlier that really everyone follows what California does. Do we think that uh, California may step back and say, you know what, you know, the Biden administration, who is obviously very, very political and was also very, very democratic, that hey, if it's good for them, maybe it's maybe it's worth a while for us to step back. Or is California just saying, you know what, we know better, we're going to continue on this path? That seems to be the case. We know better. We're modeling climate behavior for the world. If you pin them to a wall, and we, I'm on the editorial board of the Southern California News Group, which includes the Orange County Register and the Los Angeles Daily News and nine other papers. And we have the opportunity to talk to some of these politicians. And I sometimes ask them this question. Is the green energy policy in California making any difference to the global climate? And this is what they answer. No, but California must show leadership. What can you say? They think it's worth the money. It's not their money, but they think it's worth the money for everyone in California to pay more for gasoline, more for everything that is made or moved in the state of California, everything that's transported by truck, Everything that uses electricity in manufacturing, everything in California is more expensive because of these energy policies. And they think that's fine. And their solution is if people are not making enough money, they come down on the businesses and they say, well, you're not paying enough. We're going to raise the minimum wage of check your list, healthcare workers, fast food workers, hotel workers. We're going to have ordinances all over the place to raise the minimum wage so people can afford to live because it's too expensive to live in California. Even the housing policy is affected by the climate agenda because they have created what's called an impact under CEQA. CEQA is the California Environmental Quality Act. It dates back to 1970. And if something is an impact on the environment, then you have to mitigate it before you can have permission to go forward. So they made vehicle miles traveled an impact under Jerry Brown. He signed this law. Once vehicle miles traveled became an impact, it almost killed the housing market because almost the new, the new construction part of the housing market. Because if you build in an outlying area where land is less expensive, you can build affordable homes. It can't be built because of CEQA. It's an impact. People will have to drive too far to work, the analysts say. CARB says. There's even a lawsuit from a group called, I think it's called the 200. It's a civil rights coalition. And they are upset because CARB's regulations are making housing too expensive. And the reason housing is too expensive is because you can't build it in outlying areas because it creates commuting. And CARB thinks commuting increases greenhouse gases. And they have a mandate to reduce greenhouse gases. And this is why they're not building new communities in California, because it's either impossible or too expensive. This is irrational, and it's hurting people. These electricity bills, these taxes, 
this housing lack of construction, it is hurting working people in this state. And then the jobs leave. And that's no good for anybody. So all of these policies, all of California's damage is self-inflicted. And it can all be fixed, but not by the people who are in power right now because they think it's fine. The, the, maybe the last question I have for you from, from me is, I mean, carbon capture is CCS is, is sort of a, a building thing in the U.S. I mean, what is your take on that? And, it's in, and it, it seems like it's going forward in California. Does that have the potential to change this attitude that fossil fuels need to go away if, if they're sequestered? Is are, are we looking at a change attitude here or people just look at that as a ploy? Well, there is a coalition. They call themselves the Problem Solvers Coalition in the legislature, and it's a bipartisan group. And they have they have talked about supporting carbon capture. I haven't seen anything real happen with it. It's a lot of talk, but um, if it's actually happening, I don't know. Some people think that the environmental policies are more about just anti-growth and that people are filing these various lawsuits and trying to stop fossil fuels because they think there are too many people. And if if you're going from that kind, Michael Schellenberger made this point, I believe in Apocalypse Never. Uh, if you're going from this sort of nihilistic view that human life is a bad thing, if you're on the premise that death is better, then these are the policies you think are right. You know, let's not have water. Let's not have power. Let's not have housing. Let's not have jobs. Let's not have transportation. We just have too many people. If you believe that, you shouldn't be in government. That's the first thing. You should be in jail, in my opinion, but you shouldn't be in government. And if the people in government pursue those policies, that's their premise, whether they know it or not. So it's an education project. Like I said, people have to be informed that the policies they think they support are causing the problems they're having and causing them to go to other states where they're not doing these policies. And if these policies spread to the whole country through the Biden administration, it will lead to economic stagnation because high energy costs will cause economic stagnation and everyone will be worse off and the standard of living in the United States will fall. And who wants that? The U.S. government should not want that. They should not be pursuing a lower standard of living for the American people. That's just wrong. Well, one more question, and, and for me, and it kind of relates to the last point on standard of living. What's interesting is a lot of the policies you're talking about, people feel, you know, you feel when gas prices are higher or your electricity bill is higher, but it's hard to know where to really assign blame, right? It's there's, it just, it doesn't really impact you as much as, you know, other things do. One, one of the interesting things that will, I'll be curious to watch, I think, is that in 2035, where, you know, the state has mandated that internal combustion engines can no longer be sold. You know, new cars can no longer be sold in California. Uh, used cars still can, but I'm, I'm just curious if people have really thought about what that really means to go to a car dealership and say, I can't actually buy the same kind of cars I buy today. Like it, it, it sounds like it's a long time from now, but if you think about all the infrastructure that needs to be put in place for that to happen and for, I mean, that, that will be a very tangible sort of climate-related law that people will actually feel that I, I think maybe everyone is underestimating just what that would actually mean, no matter how supportive of the environment you might be. Well, I completely agree with you. I think the 100% renewable energy by 2045 and no internal combustion engines can be sold by 2035, they're just on a collision course with reality. That, that just is not likely to happen. 
uh, they like to sign these things. They like to have their pictures taken. But when you get close to it, we just saw with the extension of Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant, when you get close to it, they scramble and they throw something into a budget trailer bill and pass it in 72 hours because it's completely impractical and it isn't going to work. But while we're pretending that we're going to do that, there are a lot of costs that are falling on real people and it's affecting real businesses and people are having to make decisions based on the fact that this is a mandate in the law and they have to prepare for it. And they don't know that somebody's going to slam on the brakes like a cartoon character at the edge of a cliff, but that's what has to happen because, as you said, it's completely impractical. There's no infrastructure. It's not possible to create enough electricity in California with solar and wind to power 100% electric vehicles in California. It's not possible, especially if they're going to charge at night. Susan, I was thinking, you know, the, the history of California, and I, I feel like Gavin Newsom will still make reference to this, that the state was sort of the freedom state, right? It was sort of the, uh, uh, you know, freedom of expression, uh, you know, free, individual freedom. Like it, it had that mantra about it. And so much of this stuff is heavy, heavy, heavy government involvement in what you can buy, what you can own, you know, all these things, like a stunning amount of government involvement. Is there a, is there a freedom agenda uh, coming alive in California that just uh, is pushing back on bureaucracy generally? Do you ever detect that? Because all of this is, is as I say, it's a lot of involvement by the government in many features of our lives. You're exactly right. It hasn't shown up in the elections yet. I have not seen a, a freedom candidate take the country by storm or take the state by storm, like what we saw in Argentina. I haven't seen anything like that. Some people think our elections may not be as clean as they are in Argentina, so that may be a factor. Um, and I have not seen a big freedom rally. The, what you see overwhelmingly is that people are terrified of environmental doom. They're terrified of plastic pollution. They're terrified of fossil fuels burning up the earth. They're terrified that their grandchildren will not have a planet. They say things like this. They're terrified that if they don't recycle something dreadful that they can't articulate will happen to the planet. We're not even really recycling because China stopped accepting our recyclables. So it's all kind of a big scam. But let me tell you, there's a lot of trash bins of all colors in all businesses at all locations in front of everybody's oh, house yes. because I, we're supposed to be sorting everything. It's not even not even happening. I, I do find it confusing where I where I should put something when I'm in California. There's a lot of cans and I want to do the right thing. And you know, there's a lot of different labels. Yes, what they can added a new one. Now they have, uh, you're supposed to separate your food waste and put that in a space. It, it doesn't do anything. It's just for show. It's just a pose. It's just nonsense. It's all politics. But people are very frightened about these environmental fear claims. What do you think, Susan? You've been really generous with your time and, and you're, you're out there talking about all these things. What would you advise the rest of us kind of going back to this premise of like, we all love California. We all want to help. Uh, we all want to see, you know, the U.S., uh, you know, thrive. You know, we want to do the good policies, but not do the bad policies. What, what would you tell the rest of us about somehow being helpful uh, to, uh, to this California discussion? We have a relative that's uh, suffering a little, and we would like to help. You should lock us in the attic and try not to let us wreck your life is what you should do. The 
the best thing to do is talk about the cost of the policies, I think, because people never talk about that in politics. It's just, yes, we're going to go to 100% renewable. What's it going to cost? We don't want to talk about that. If you want to find out what it's going to cost, you have to go to obscure websites in the government's network that the CPUC, there's a, there's a, a public advocate's office, they they work on what the prices are, and there's a PDF somewhere that you can find that projects out what these things will be. You can find it in a legislative analyst uh, analysis from time to time. You can find it in a state auditor's report. But the politicians are not talking about the cost of the policies. And I think if people saw the price tag, they would not support the policy. So that's probably the the easiest way for people in other states to make sure that they move forward in a rational way before they really hurt themselves. I think that's a great suggestion. I saw a quote this weekend. It was um, Milton Friedman said, never judge a policy by its intentions, judge it by its results. I thought that was a pretty good one. Yes. Susan, as we wrap up, you know, one of the things we're always thinking about is what does the world look like in 10 years? Like where is all this headed globally? And we're solving for a lot of things. As you think about California 10 years from now, uh, you know, knowing there are some issues uh, today, where do you think the state is in, in 10 years? Has it, has it righted itself? Has it, um, you know, has it punched through to something much better or, or have these problems gotten worse? What, what would you say about a California outlook 10 years from now? Well, if it stays with the same policies on the same path, it's going to have severe financial problems because it has a very progressive tax code and the high-income people are leaving and the world's more portable now and businesses can leave. Um, we have productive ports, but there are other ports in other states that don't have the same restrictions, requirements, regulations, labor issues. There are a lot of things going on in California that are causing the state to decline. And if they're not reversed, you're going to see severe budget deficits and severe cuts in all services. Meanwhile, they're trying to borrow money for everything. They're, they're taking from the reserves, which we have some budget reserves, and the current plan is to take from the reserves and to borrow more money. So from the past, from the future, and from the taxpayers of the present. And where are they putting that money? Is it going into something that solves a problem? No. It's going to keep promises to the supporters of the current politicians in office. It's going to all kinds of priorities that increase the salaries and the, and the benefits of people who support the current politicians. So you shouldn't be borrowing from the past and the future and taking from the present just to keep political promises. This is not what builds California. If you go back to the governorship of Pat Brown, they were building things. They were fixing problems. They were not standing back and spreading fear and raising the cost of everything. They were fixing problems. And that kind of spirit, the freedom that you're talking about, is sorely missing in California right now. And I think a lot of people are seeking it and would like it here in this state, in California, and not have to go to another state to be free. I, I think the, the aggravation of always being told that your life is in the way of the planet is getting on the nerves of a lot of people. So we'll see how that plays out over 10 years. Well, Susan, thank you so much for spending time with us. We really appreciate it. And, and as I say, we'll, we'll attach a link to your article. It's, it's straightforward and, and, and plain spoken, and, and we appreciate your efforts. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. 
Thank you, Susan. And thanks, everybody.